Good morning, afternoon, evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeters. We talked about college football in a special rendition of our Things Football Players Shouldn't Do list, the NFL, the MLB, the NBA, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 197. While nobody's impressed with the Iowa State Cyclones 0-5 conference record, uh, 3-5 overall, it could be much, much worse. I have another uh, quick pop quiz, which you guys might might get right here, uh, with a bonus question for a tiebreaker. And that is, which college football team has had the most losses in a season since, uh, let's say, 1940, for example? And any guesses? The most losses in a single season? In a single season. The most losses in a single season college football. I don't know. Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, Kansas was my guess. Oh, and 12. Colorado? Uh, no, it was Army. In 2003, they had 13 losses. There you go. Anybody guess the current Big 12 team that they played? In that season they did play one current big 12 team throughout that loss it was a zero to 27 point loss any guesses k-state k-state west virginia west virginia uh oh texas oh so close it was texas christian university at the oh, time in in cusa there's your fun fact for the day it could be much much worse that's true it could be worse than it is they fell in another close game um, to Oklahoma this year, uh, this week. Um, the final score was a final of 27 to 13, um, but it was closer than that score indicates. Oklahoma scored a very late touchdown um, with, uh, with five minutes left to, to make it that, and Iowa State uh, turned the ball over on downs inside the 10-yard line. Um, on their last possession. So it was much closer than that. Um, attention to detail has been killing Iowa State, and it did again. We gave up a touchdown on a fake field goal. Um, you threw three interceptions, including two of them, um, well down one score late in the game. Again, you can make an argument that they were the better team in this game compared to Oklahoma. They outgained Oklahoma. They outpassed Oklahoma 2-1. to one. They had less penalties than Oklahoma. They had more time of possession than Oklahoma. But again, it was the turnovers and the lack of attention to detail that did this team in. It's been the same story um, over and over again. I, I don't know what else to say about this team besides what we've been saying the whole season. What else is there to say at this point? I will say we did get a bum call on that inter- quote-unquote interception at the beginning of the game. Uh, Decker's first one, that definitely was a loose ball that hit the ground. I don't know how they did not overturn that. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, it's the same thing we see every week. The offense looks terrible. The defense looks fantastic. And we make mistakes that we shouldn't make every week. And I'm just going to get out in front of it. I know that somebody here on this podcast is probably going to talk about how Hunter Deckers is terrible and (laughs) probably isn't good enough to play. But my argument is the passing game is not an issue. It's all the rushing game. And all the problems in the passing game come when we can't establish the rush. Do you know who our leading scorer was in this, or our leading rusher was in this game? Hunter Deckers. Hunter Deckers. Do you know who our leading rusher was in the last game? Hunter Deckers. It was Hunter Deckers. Do you know the last game that we had any rusher get over 35 yards on the ground? Kansas? Baylor. It's going to say either Ohio or Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. Our leading rusher in the Kansas game was 29 yards by Deion Silas. We can't have this every single week. We can't even get 35 yards on the ground. That's crazy. So, you know, when we see him throw two picks late, uh, yeah, he probably will throw two picks late. They don't have to respect the run game. They can drop a million people back there, and they know that they do not have to worry about it. He is basically our only threat, passing and rushing. I do not know what happened to Jirel Brock. Apparently, he never came back from that injury the same way he was beforehand, but we are completely one-dimensional, and the one dimension that we have isn't even that good. So no surprise that we're struggling that much. If he was set up with a run game that could average even 85 to 90 yards a game you know, from a back, 
I think our offense would look a lot different. And we saw that it did look a lot different at the beginning of the year. That's the main difference between then and now is not the passing game, but the running game. Yeah, yardage-wise, Hunter Deckers has only thrown for under 200 yards in a game twice. And that was the win at Iowa. And we know Iowa has a fantastic defense. And then the lost Kansas State. Other than that, he's been over 200 yards passing in every game this year. He entered this weekend leading in completions in the Big 12 for quarterbacks. I will say the numbers definitely favor Deckers more than the eye test does. I don't think he's that good, but still. He hasn't been as bad as he's made out to be. He just has to shoulder the entire load at this point, which is tough for a guy to do who's, eh, he's okay. Yeah, I agree. He, he is, I don't, he, I don't think he is as good as Brock Purdy, but I don't know. We, we haven't seen Hunter Deckers with Brees Hall. I think he could be a plus, an okay to a plus game manager. If you give him the tools that he just moves the offense along, which honestly was kind of Brock Purdy's role. He was the best game manager that we've ever seen for quite a long time. Like, I think he'd do pretty darn good. He's just not that guy. He's not going to win you a Heisman. He's not going to win you a bunch of games, but he's very serviceable and he can make a lot of good throws. He has a good arm. I don't know. I would I would like to see it if the rest of our offense, our run game could perform like it should be. So many, so many times when they run, they don't even get back to the line of scrimmage. They're just blasted by the time they even get there they, they don't even have a chance yeah and in my opinion Deckers has been has been really really good on third down which has been huge third and fourth down yeah um, which has been huge I mean yes the interceptions suck but he's been really clutch on third and fourth down this year Hunter Deckers has been better on third and fourth down than our play calling has been on third and fourth down in general yeah I was going to talk about that especially on that last drive I want to talk about on that last offensive drive, and yes, it probably doesn't matter, and we were going to lose the game anyway, but why with approximately two minutes left in the game, down by 14 points, I want to find this exact play. Anyway, there was a play late in that game. I can't find the exact one because ESPN is just missing it. We have, we have our, all three timeouts, um, under two minutes left. We run the ball. First of all, why are you running the ball? Running hasn't been working all game. You just march down the field passing. Then you choose to run the ball down by 14 late. And then you don't take the time out afterward. It was already to the point where you were going to have to um, get the onsides kick to win this game anyway. So why were you not taking the timeouts late in the game? And why were you calling run plays, frankly? It doesn't make sense. No, it does not. The, the play calling on that last drive was very frustrating. They called a wide receiver screen when um, you didn't have numbers on that side of the field. Um, you just can't do that. If they got three defenders and you've got two wide receivers over there, the, the wide receiver screen's not going to work. It's not. Even if your tight end can get out and, and take out one of those defenders, for that to get any yards, the wide receiver's still got to make a man miss. You can't call that play with that numbers i don't know if that's on the offensive coordinator or deckers i don't think deckers has the uh the ability to audible i think the audibles come from the sidelines somebody had to audible out of that play it wasn't gonna work did purdy audible last year i think they came from the sideline as well last year right because you see that they do the the fake snap and then everybody turns and looks to the sideline where they're doing all the ridiculous hand signs i assume that's the audible call but i don't know that I don't know. It was it was just slightly frustrating. But yeah, I don't know what else you can say besides what we've already said. Kyle, anything? Uh, I You can't put it all on Deckers. One of those two interceptions at the end of the game, though, I will say I went back and, and watched the tape to try and see what what he saw. And I just don't think he's able to process his progressions quick enough yet yeah he definitely gets stuck on a read that comes with reps he looked one way look yeah it it wasn't even a good look off he looked too quick to the left came immediately back right and the linebacker was just staring he was basically just running a drop zone coverage i mean he didn't see the linebacker on that not at all not at all and but but the whole goal of moving players right is to look one way and make it uh you gotta make it believable uh and and i didn't quite see that from him there i thought he was too rushed trying to get to that second progression that he thought he had when it ultimately was not there 
Um, that that middle linebacker uh, or outside linebacker, I guess in that case, uh, played just a really good coverage. He had really good coverage on that. Read the quarterback's eyes perfectly and made a play. Um, that one, Hunter Deckers. It's just a growing thing for him. He's got to see it more. He's got to understand um, what it means to actually look off those defenders. Uh, but at the same time, for this passing game, someone else needs to actually step up. Staley stepped up a little bit in this game, but Jalen Knoll had a couple of bad drops. Running backs out of the backfield had bad drops. Um, for a team that can't get the running game going, if the short passes, the short passes are then are what going to free some things up because you're, you have to keep that defense honest, keep them up close. It brings up the play-action pass with Hutchinson running a post route over the middle uh, or Noel over the middle or something like that. But it, you, someone else has to step up and make a play, and it definitely starts with the running backs. Um, I will say that some of the holes that we uh, typically saw last year with Brees Hall aren't as big this year either. Um uh, the offensive line seems like it just isn't creating the same space. And I don't think that's for a um, lack of like defensive lines being necessarily better this year in the big 12. Honestly, the only uh, defensive line that I think is truly formidable that we've played so far was that K state defensive line. Um, but it, it, the offensive line hasn't seemed to hold up quite enough. And even when there are holes for Deckers to potentially sneak out through to run, he a is, isn't either seeing that gap to get out and scramble like Brock Purdy would, or those gaps aren't as large. Uh, and Deckers definitely isn't as quick as Purdy to elude that pressure. So um, I think it's a, it's definitely a mix of like the run game uh, and on the running backs, but I would say that I have not been impressed by the offensive line play this year. And I think that has been uh, really detrimental to the um, evolution of this offense with so many new pieces uh, that they're trying to plug in. The combination of regression of the line, very no offense to those guys, but less talented backs, like just makes it really hard to get things done when we need to get it done. Like, it there's it's a non-starter every time they run. Also, not to pile on a guy, but I just pulled up. You know, Bill McDonald's stats are unanimous AP All American for the country. Uh, you know, through however many games, what three and five? It's eight games now. He has three and a half sacks. I mean, he had eleven and a half and ten and a half the last two years. You know, we just kind of expect more of that. He is eating. Chips and double teams, though, at a significantly right. higher rate than anyone else in college football. That's fine. I just think when literally every writer picks you in America to be on the AP team, like we know you're going to get double teams. We knew that. And, you know, you're expected to beat those more often than he does. The defense has been great. So whatever he's yeah, doing is course. working. I mean, maybe he's not getting the flashy stats, but he's obviously not been trash because his defense no, is not terrible. Been that good without. Him. But he's he's what are what are MJ Anderson's stats this year compared to last year? Let right? Me take a little click. Because MJ if, Anderson, if if Will McDonald is opening up more opportunities for other linemen, ultimately that's a better thing. Yeah, MJ Anderson has 19 tackles and two sacks. He had seven tackles and one sack last year, so definitely a bump in his numbers. Uh, MJ Lee or Isaiah Lee, 19 tackles, zero sacks. He had 21 tackles and a sack and a half last year. I mean, it, it, you know, like you said, there's not a ton of room to criticize the defense. It seems ludicrous to say that I think they should be doing better. I believe they said during that game, the Iowa State defense is top 10 in the FBS and our, you know, offense is literally 10th in the Big 12. So we know what side we need to improve on. Just to give you an idea of how well the defense is playing, I'm going to give you some numbers. you got to tell me what these numbers are. This is your trivia question. Southeast Missouri, 19. Iowa, 12. Ohio, 23. Baylor, 19. Kansas, 7. Kansas State, 12. Texas, 17. Oklahoma, 15. What, what are those numbers? Um, uh, points in the second half? 
Uh, K- Kansas State only scored 10 points in the game. Kyle, oh, it's yeah. tough if they scored 12 in the second half. They got the negative two points. Uh, geez, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's number of opponent completed passes. Oh, okay. We are averaging 15.5 completed passes per opponent, right, per game. The opponent is only completing 15 and a half passes. What's average? Well, for the Big 12, definitely more than that. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I guess I don't know. I don't have anything to compare that to. Yeah, if you want Decker's numbers, I mean, just as something to compare it to, right? He is the best in the Big 12 at that. Right, but, I mean, just to give it something to compare it to, you know? In those games, Decker's has 25, um, 25, 28, 23. Slightly more than 15. 30, yeah. He's averaging way more than... Basically uh, double that, almost. 15, 22... No, he won't be doubling it, but he'll he'll average will be but like twenty five. Yeah, don't know what else to say on that, but yeah, the defense is just playing great. Passing games are non-existent against this defense. So I asked you guys this question what two three weeks ago. How are you feeling about the offensive coordinator these days? You like him? You want to keep him for next year? I'd be fine with the positional change. Sure, but I think we got bigger problems than that. I think we need to figure out a running back. I just think, you know, last time I asked, we were both, we were all like, definitely not. That's overreactionary. And now it's like, well, maybe you wouldn't be that shocked. Let's see what they do against the actual bad teams in the Big 12, West Virginia and Texas Tech. Other than us, I guess. Yeah. But are we really that bad? On offense. We would be, if every one score game was reversed, we would be a conference title contender. Easy. This team would be. Six and two right now if every one score game was reversed. I mean, if so. That's how close we've played. I know, but like we've been better than West Virginia, without a doubt. Also, man, Chase Gilbert has missed one kick all year outside of that Kansas game. Yeah. That is just an aberration. Like, right. I don't want to call them fluke things, but it's been a lot of fluke things, is why we've lost, right? That's what happens when your team is growing and young, though, I guess. So we'll hope that uh, they get better from this and we can lose less one-score games in the future, please. That would be great. Yep. Yeah, so next week, um, as we uh, alluded to, it'll be West Virginia homecoming. I think it'll be the first game since 2019 that all four of the 8311 cast hosts will be at. Um, So that'll be fun. Um, 2.30 on ESPN+. Plus. Iowa State is seven-point favorites. Just beat the bad team. I don't have any other analysis on this. You're better than them. Beat them. Show us some life. Jeez, with the seven-point favorite and Iowa State's offense, that means they're not going to score, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, give us something to celebrate on homecoming. That's all I got to say. That would be nice. Do what you're supposed to do. Any other thoughts on this game? Otherwise, Kyle, I think you had uh, some other exciting news you want to talk about in Big 12 football. I don't have anything else to add in this game. Uh, It'd be good to pick up a win. I think mm-hmm. it's much needed. Uh, the other big news that happened this week is some Big 12 media rights uh, news. Um, it broke on Sunday, that, either Sunday or Monday, that the Big 12 conference has reached a new six-year media rights agreement with ESPN and Fox worth a total of $2.28 billion, um, which is an average of $380 million per year for the conference. Uh, in a and quoting Jamie Pollard here, he says, "A huge day for the future of Cyclone Athletics in the Big 12 Conference with college football playoff in the NCAA. This will bring our annual Big 12 revenue to close to 50 million dollars per school, up from 41 million dollars this year. Congrats to Brett Yormark for delivering in the clutch." Um, I think the thing to highlight here is that the Big 12 is still going to be relevant. Um, I think that this uh, stymies any. Um, conversation about is the big 12 going to dissolve uh, if they don't get a media deal done um i think that the one thing that this also uh says to me is that the big 12 is no longer pursuing pac-12 schools uh as that media rights agreement would shrink the amount of money due to each conference member um uh, so i don't know if i would like the likes of Oklahoma State, Iowa State are going to want to give up $50 million a year just to add like Cal to the conference uh, and get to go play in California. So uh, this is a big move for the Big 12. Um, They are now 
uh, third in overall um, media rights value behind the Big Twelve and the or Big Ten in the SEC, ahead of the ACC and the uh, still yet to be decided Pac-12 without the LA market um, with UCLA and USC going moving to the Big Ten. So, is uh, it, it news that flew a little bit under the radar that not a whole a lot of people were talking about? It seemed like I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. You probably don't because why would you? But do you know the last time that the ACC restructured their TV deal? Uh, I looked it up. The ACC restructured their TV deal in 2018, I believe. Okay. Uh, and I think it was an eight-year agreement at that point. I'm like, we're top three, but when's the last time anybody else restructured it? Because that's kind of how the stuff goes. As soon as you restructure it, you're kind of near the top of the market, and then it just, you know, like the quarterback market. Every quarterback right. that gets paid is the top quarterback. It was a $1.86 billion deal back in 2018. Gotcha. So it's been so, a little while. The Big 12 is not going to fall apart in this next round of realignment is essentially what that guaranteed. The rumors of the Big 12's demise were greatly exaggerated. Again. Correct. And teams like Cincinnati or schools like Cincinnati, Houston, UCF are all happy that they're joining the Big 12 now as they get a major pay bump uh, or payout per school. Um in the new conference alignment and not to mention that that is a $9 million increase per school while losing OU in Texas. So uh feels a little bit good for that. So pat on the back to uh, the new commissioner of the big 12 for going out there and, and getting a good deal for the big 12, keeping them relevant. I was watching the Cincy UCF game this weekend and it was weird to think about the fact that that's a big 12 game basically. Yep. Next year it's a, it is a big 12 game. Welcome in. Horns down. Won't even have to worry about it anymore. I love it. Mm-hmm. Any other comments on that? Or should we add another thing to our list for two consecutive weeks to things football players shouldn't do? Yeah, we got to We got to talk about this. This is crazy. Things football players shouldn't do. Uh, episode or iteration. What are we at? Like 39 40 now. This is number 39. I was close with that guess. Um, so many of you might've known Michigan and Michigan state played this past weekend on Saturday and they don't Uh, like each other. They don't really like each other. It is a rivalry game. Um, maybe not as much as Michigan, Ohio state, but still significant. Uh, for those who are unaware, this game was played at Michigan, uh, Michigan's tunnel to the locker rooms feeds both teams so historically it has been uh understood that the visiting team leaves the field first the home team follows them so that they don't have to have both teams in the same tunnel at the same time uh a video surfaced late saturday night following the game that a Michigan player was caught running into the tunnel, potentially a little early, uh, but just trying to get back to the locker room as most of the Michigan State team was filing into their locker room. Well, we don't have much audio about what was said, what went on, but ultimately what transpired is the Michigan State team ganged up on two Michigan players. Uh, One of them uh, suffered either a dislocated or broken nose. I did not follow up on the reporting on what the final outcome of that injury was and sustained, but there was a lot of punches being thrown and all of it was caught on video to the extent that eight Michigan state players were indefinitely suspended uh, from all football related activities. Uh, And for those who are keeping track at home, eight players being suspended was more point or more was a greater number than the points they scored against Michigan in that game. Seven. Well, the conferences are in the business of finding teams for storming the field. It, it, we can have the players going in the same tunnel at the end of the game. Like, I get there are regulate. How is this allowed? They it's a bad idea. It. It's, it's been going idea. on for like 60 years, though. This isn't even the first time this season someone's complained about the one tunnel, though, I don't think. Yeah, the Nittany Lions, uh, whatever yeah. their head head coach, bald man, uh, said. James Franklin. Yeah, complained that they felt unsafe as they were leaving the field. Well, um, apparently Michigan's the one who should feel unsafe. Correct. The Big Ten should find Michigan for every game they keep this tunnel arrangement. 
It's not the tunnel's fault. Have some sportsmanship. Well, sure. Well, I don't even know sportsmanship. Like what? That goes beyond sportsmanship. Jesus, don't beat up the other team. I agree. Be a decent human being, but this is also a sportsmanship issue. I agree. I don't think it's the layout. It hasn't been that big of an issue. Obviously, we had some crazy outliers here. When I first heard the report, I figured it would be overblown, dramatic, like it always is. And I saw the video; it was much worse, much worse than I thought it would be. Agreed. Agreed. Like that there were actual haymakers being landed. Yeah. There are like six players just kicking and punching a dude on the ground. Somebody swung a helmet at somebody's head. Like, unacceptable. Those guys should not be suspended. They should be expelled. I, I was just going to say the same thing. And I think that's, that's definitely insane. grounds for, I mean, it's obviously grounds for assault. Expulsion should yeah, definitely I, I be I think on the one table. of the players' fathers said they were going to press charges. Can you imagine if that happened on campus and nobody was wearing? He had already, he's already hired a uh, attorney to yeah, press charges enough. against all of those players. Can you imagine if this happened on a campus and no, nobody was wearing a football uniform? If like footage broke out of just like six to eight students just kicking and punching the holy living mother out of a student on campus, that would not fly. Uh, you can't, they're supposed to be student athletes. They're students, right? So treat them the same. I don't think that would be acceptable. Just because they're in a football uniform doesn't give them exemption from the to, law and, and <laughs> accountability of the law. Right. Yeah. That's why when Miles Garrett, I mean, sidebar, swung a helmet at Mason Rudolph's head, there was talk about, like, I mean, is that an actual assault charge? Yes. That Even though is it, is, also, it is. It is. <laughs> Aaron Donald swung a helmet at somebody's head this summer and nobody did anything. He didn't even get suspended. Ridiculous. That's that L.A. media darling treatment. It's one thing to have a fight on the field, you know, throwing a couple punches. Not, I'm not saying that's a good thing by any means, but there's a huge difference between having a fight on the field and a fight off the field. Huge difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge difference. And especially when you have a guy taking his helmet off and using it as a weapon, which, by the way, is already on our list of things football players shouldn't do. But it, we can't. Uh, this stuff just keeps escalating and escalating. What do you do? I mean, ultimately, it boils down to sportsmanship. And there is none, obviously. But you can't go around assaulting people either. Really ugly situation. Very. So so w w what exactly are we putting on the list here? I'm going to propose we say don't beat up the other team in the tunnel after the game. Specifically after the game, before the game is fine. Don't beat up the other team in the tunnel before or after the game. Yeah, don't don't put a gun on anybody in the tunnels. We could we could make it a little more abstract and say don't beat up the other team off the field. Uh, so we're not necessarily limiting on field fights, which I'm not saying are a good thing. I am hockey style. Let's do it. <laughs> don't beat up the other team off feel about that sounds good to me sounds good to me that is our 39th addition Gosh. to our list of things football players shouldn't do and oddly enough the first one that is not targeted to a specific individual i mean do hold on do should we also petition the rules committee here to also add that uh the visiting locker rooms should not enter and exit through the same tunnel onto the field no. Well, that's not something like a football it's player a, can yeah, control. Yeah, not a football. That's, yeah, I agree. That's true. Okay. Petition denied. That's a good addition. Thank you for that addition to the list. Um, and it was, a, as well as an active week in college football, it was a very active week in the NFL. What the heck happened both on the field and at the trade deadline, Kyle? Uh, a lot of stuff. First, we're going to start off the field in the trade deadline, and we're only going to headline a few of the trades because there were a lot of smaller ones, but... These are the big uh, headliners. Obviously, we talked about Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers. Uh, paid off dividends. We'll talk about that later. Uh, interesting trade, though, today. One that was kind of flying, that uh, was not expected. Calvin Ridley, the wide receiver of the Atlanta Falcons, was traded to Jacksonville. Get this. Ironically, Calvin Ridley, uh, the wide receiver for Atlanta, now suspended, bet on the Falcons beating the Jags. And now he's going to be playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So uh, very ironic situation there. Uh, William Jackson, uh, moving down the list, the cornerback for Washington was rumored to be a cut candidate after a couple of years ago signing a $45 million extension. They did find a trade suitor in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, continues to add to their defense uh, that's missing TJ Watt this season. Uh, defense was a priority this this trade deadline. Bradley Chubb, 
was traded from the Denver Broncos to the Miami Dolphins. The Miami Dolphins, uh, I, I will say this, the Miami Dolphins had the third pick, second or third pick in the draft a couple of years ago when the San Francisco 49ers traded up to get Trey Lance. The Miami Dolphins have turned that trade in Hall of Picks into Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, and uh, uh, Bradley Chubb now to which Bradley Chubb will now be uh, uh, seeking a massive contract extension with the Miami Dolphins. It's already been confirmed that they are working on that extension with him. Uh, some receiving help that was ex- that was projected to go to the Packers ultimately went into the same division uh, with two different trades. Um, the Chicago Bears traded for Pittsburgh Steelers uh, wide receiver Chase Claypool. They gave up a second round pick. Uh, other notable uh, receivers to be traded for a second round pick DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, I'll let you decide which one uh, was probably more worth it than the other, but I digress. Uh, another a in division trade uh, as Minnesota was announced today to lose Irv Smith for a significant period of time with an ankle injury, they go out and get TJ Hawkinson tight end from Detroit. Uh, big trade for them. Uh, just adds to that offensive firepower for Kirk cousins. Uh, as I had said before, defensive help was at a pr- premium uh, this off season or sorry, this trade deadline as the Chicago bears traded two defensive linemen slash outside linebackers. First Roquan Smith was traded from Chicago to Baltimore. A, uh, the supposed trade was uh, looming, you know, during the off season that uh, Roquan Smith wanted out or a contract extension. He is now out and gone to Baltimore helps their defensive line significantly. And Philadelphia got better on the defensive line by adding Robert Quinn also from Chicago. Some non, some notable non moves uh, that I thought I had suspected some players might be involved in getting these, uh, these players in trades, Cam Akers, who has had a falling out with the L.A. Rams, uh, Brandon Cooks. Uh, there was rumors that a deal with the Dallas Cowboys was in the works, but his 18 million guaranteed was a little bit too much this year for the Cowboys to take on. <clears throat> Shouldn't have paid Zeke Elliott that much money. Uh, Brian Burns uh, was another one, but Carolina wasn't ready to get uh, rid of him. Josh Allen, the defensive end uh, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, was another rumor. He is staying with Jacksonville. And then Kareem Hunt going into free agency at the end of this season. Uh, rumored to be on the list of like the Rams um, and, uh, and teams that needed some running back help as well. Uh, he did not move either. A few winners and losers. Uh, take this as you will. This is Kyle's list of winners and losers at the trade deadline. Winners, 49ers, Dolphins, Baltimore Ravens, Philadelphia Eagles, and Minnesota Vikings. The teams that needed help in key areas went out and got that help. They said, we don't care about the future. We are uh, rolling into a Super Bowl window. We're going to go and try and get it now. Losers, Green Bay needed a lot of help, especially receiving help. Aaron Rodgers is not happy today. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, I believe the, the Chiefs needed a def- some defensive line help going into this season because their attack on the quarterback has been weak so far this season. And then the L.A. Rams are multiple pieces away from being Super Bowl contenders again this year. Uh, I did not think that they I thought believed that they should have gone out to get someone. But then again, they were trying to look for first round picks and didn't see them until 2030. So they weren't willing to part with those. So week eight summary, we'll roll through this real fast. McCaffrey uh, being traded to the 49ers had a historic week against the LA Rams. First player since 05 with a passing touchdown, rushing touchdown and receiving touchdown. Uh, he eclipsed the hundred yard, uh, hundred yards from scrimmage easily in this game. Uh, as the 49ers roll over the LA Rams. I believe that's eight or nine straight for the San Francisco 49ers. So if you are a betting man, take San Francisco money line. Uh, Tampa Bay is reeling. Uh, They lose on Thursday night football to Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Minnesota in the AFC, or sorry, NFC North is 
in the driver's seat of that division by far. Uh, we talked about them adding some more talent uh, to that offense to that offense. Uh, we'll see if Kirk cousins can step up in those big games. That is the only hesitancy, but they have some, some talent on the defense and definitely some offensive firepower uh, in a ultimately fairly weak NFC, except for the top few teams, which is the Eagles as they move on or, or roll on and route the Steelers this week. They're the only unbeaten team still in the NFL. Uh, good for them. The Seattle Seahawks, the surprise story or a actual contender. I don't think they're a contender yet, but Pete Carroll has that team playing very well. Uh, they hit their draft phenomenally. Star running back, two offensive linemen. Uh, that are plug-and-play pieces that they needed. Uh, and a corner that was a huge find for them. And they have a whole host of picks thanks to Danger Russ in the trade. Uh, rumors were that the Broncos were hopeful to trade for Geno Smith, seeing that they actually traded for the wrong quarterback, uh, this year. That's don't, don't take any, don't take, take that lightly. Yeah. That, that, that wasn't, that wasn't a very good joke. Well, he's been way better than, uh, Russell Wilson this year. And he would have been True. a whole heck of Who a lot cheaper. Been? Uh, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I think he's still been better. Zach Wilson. True, Zach Matt, Wilson's been Matt bad. Stafford. Uh, the Giants do lose to the Seahawks this week as the Giants, uh, Barkley and Daniel Jones did not look great in this game. They'll look to get back on track next week. Speaking of not looking great is that Bengals offensive line. Joe Burrow has been sacked now 99 times in the past two seasons. Uh, obviously, have, not having Jamar Chase leads to some offensive ineptitude, but they're going to have to figure it out if he is indeed sidelined for six weeks. Uh, but that offensive line is not allowing Joe Burrow and that passing attack to have any time. Joe Mixon doesn't have any rushing lanes to get through. Uh, if you're not running the ball, they're, they're seeing a lot of issues similar to the, the Iowa State offense, at least in this game against the Browns. Although Joe Burrow did throw for nearly four or for over 400 yards just a week before, but they faced a much better defensive line this week. So the the crazy part is during that uh, broadcast, they said Joe Burrow is like the second or third fastest at getting the ball out of his hand in the league. And he's still sacked 99 times over the last two seasons. What else is he supposed to do? You get flashbacks to Andrew Luck there and you, you, you hope that he's okay and he can make it through this. Yeah. I, they're either, I, I I don't know. I wonder if they're trying to kill him because Cincinnati doesn't <laughs> want to pay him enough. I don't um, know. But that offensive line needs some help. Jonah Williams on multiple times just got caught with his hands down and just ha looking like he had zero effort on the play. Uh, so Cincinnati needs to figure it out if they want to be serious contenders in the AFC this year. Fun fact, the only team that Minnesota has beat that has a winning record right now was Miami and they were starting their third string quarterback. So I don't know if I buy that they're going to be like this for the rest of the season, to be honest. I sense a little regression coming down the road. I mean, but they don't have a particularly difficult schedule down the stretch. They play the Bills, which is going to be tough, and they've got the Cowboys. But other than that, they only have two, those two tough games on the schedule since the Packers are bad. Right, that game at Lambeau yep. doesn't look particularly difficult anymore. I guess we're right? you know, more looking forward to the playoffs. Like, are you going to win a Super Bowl? I'm doubtful. I wouldn't say you're a favorite, but can you say, I mean, I don't think they're significantly worse than Philadelphia. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe I have drank too much Purple Kool-Aid. Hey, we'll you should. You should. Do it while you can. You, you, you don't have to give the wins back in the NFL. They all count. It's not like right, college right. football. In the NFL, beating the worst team by two is the same as beating the best team by 50. Doesn't matter. Playoffs are strictly by record. Any other thoughts on week eight in the NFL? That was it for me. Just real quick, I disagree with Kyle on Kansas City being a loser. Uh, they're the only person in that list that you picked that doesn't have a losing record. They're 5-2 and two right now. I don't think it's that big of a concern. I think they'll be okay. And then I'm just confused. I think we're all confused. On what Chicago's doing, they trade away their two best defensive players, intimating that they don't plan on winning this year, and then they randomly trade for a wide receiver who I don't think anybody is a make-or-break wide receiver. He's like a number two vertical stretch guy. If they're trying to test out whether Fields is going to be the guy or not, that's not the guy you get to test that. I don't think it tells you anything. 
So I don't, I don't understand. I was talking to my guy, Michael, about it today. He's a big Bears fan, and he's also confused about it. So I, I don't know what they're doing there, and I don't think they know what they're doing either. But they have over a hundred, they have over a hundred million dollars in cap space going into the off season, though. Uh, and with that, Robert Quinn and uh, what's his name? I just had it. Right Roquan now. Smith. Roquan Smith trade. They they have draft capital, right? They had some. They drafted well on defense this season. Uh, they're going to lean on offense next season. Um, I think that's their play. But the Chase Claypool trade isn't something that I saw coming, unless they're trying to get a, another veteran in to help lead Darnell Mooney uh, and um, a potentially a a high round draft pick uh, this upcoming season. A, a one of those wide receivers that's coming out. Uh, you never know, but I don't know if Chase Claypool was the guy that doesn't move the needle. It's just a random other guy. Is he automatically the best receiver on their roster? Sure. Are you trying to move the needle for the Bears right now when you're hopeful that you'll be a top 10 draft pick this year? Why are we trading for anything? That's what I'm confused about. Don't do it. It, It's strange to me. Just keep your second round pick then. You could pick twice in the second round, but instead you pick Chase Claypool. I I don't understand. But we can, we can move on. We'll go to a World Series review here. Mike, do you want to take us away? Yeah, we, we expected at this time that there would be three World Series games under the belt. There were only two. Uh, more on that in a minute. But of those two games, the series has been split 1-1 in two of what were um, some, some pretty entertaining games. I don't know if you guys watched any of them. I watched um, bits and pieces of both of them. Um, Philadelphia had a big comeback to win game one in 10 innings. Um, they, uh, fell down five to nothing at one point in that game and came back to win it six to five. Um, they were down five, nothing after three tied it up in the fifth and then won it in the 10th inning. In game two, they again fell down five to nothing. Um, and this time we're not able to come all the way back and only uh, and lost that game five to two. Um, game three was supposed to be played um, yesterday, Monday um, on Halloween, but it was rained out because of poor weather in Philadelphia. So that condensed the World Series schedule a little bit. Game three is being played as we speak. And Bryce Harper just did a two run homer in the first inning to give the Philadelphia the lead. Um, games four and five will be played on Wednesday and Thursday in Philadelphia. Off day Friday, and then if necessary, games six and seven will be played in Houston um, Saturday and Sunday. So something to keep an eye on. Um, Philadelphia has definitely performed better than I thought they were when they fell down early in game one. I was like, oh, here it goes. This is the, this is the defeat uh, that we all thought was coming. But then uh, they battled back and took some momentum. So we'll see how that goes. I definitely think that with the delay, like the the rained out game, if Philadelphia is able to win game three, they have a better setup uh, for starting pitching, like how they line up to start games than the Houston Astros do. I think it benefits them, the, the Phillies, a little bit more. However, if Houston is somehow able to win... Uh, or steal a game in Philadelphia or two, then the final game six and seven definitely line up better for the Astros. So uh, I would say game three is a very pivotal game in this World Series. Yeah, it is. And Philadelphia jumped out to an early lead in that one. We'll see if they can hold the lead. Um, Arian, switching over to a sport that's in a very different point of the season. What do you got in the NBA? Yeah, we are still in the infancy of this new season um, for reasons that are not very sports related. So we did not cover them. Uh, Celtics coach Ime Udoka has been suspended for, as far as we know, the entirety of the season, which is related now because coach Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets, quote unquote, mutually agreed to part ways, which always means, hey, man, if you want to quit, we won't fire you. Uh, But seven games into the season, we've decided to fire coach Steve Nash. Kevin Durant requested a trade over the offseason, then said he didn't want to trade, then said you need to fire the coach and the GM, to which the owner said, no, I'm not going to fire Steve Nash. And then seven games into the season, we just decide to fire Steve Nash anyway. 
I'm very confused as to why we decided to go for the worst of both worlds and saying no to our star player and then also just disrupting everything. If you if he was going to have that short of a leash, just fire him when when Katie asks you to. I don't understand. However, with all the drama of Kevin Durant and all the nonsense that Kyrie gets into and Ben Simmons having issues still, he's probably not that upset. He's still going to get paid out his contract and he doesn't have to have that stress in his life. Um, they are now, the Nets are now heavily rumored to be going with still suspended coach Ime Udoka for their next head coach. I do not know how that works with him being under contract right now. Uh, I guess we will see if that actually happens, but you know, the Brooklyn drama Nets, of course, are going to pick the most dramatic candidate possible to lead their team. I will say, uh, Ime is a great coach. He did really, really well on the Celtics last year, made them into a defensive juggernaut, and obviously they were in the finals last year. So just from a purely X's and O's def- you know, coaching standpoint, uh, it's a pretty good hire. It's just maybe not the best one for uh, the PR look of it. And then uh, the Lakers finally won their first game of the season as well. So I, I have one question. Yeah. Well, I it should I don't know if you noted this or not. The the Celtics or Udoka's uh suspension is purely a Celtic suspension. It's not a league suspension. So for all of our listeners out there, if you are wondering, well, how can he coach if he's still suspended? That could that would be the reason why obviously they have to figure out the contract. Like we had talked about that. But uh Ariane, is this Brooklyn Nets team? Do they have enough pieces to actually be a def- defensive-minded team like Udoka likes to play, right? Because you have so many offensive-minded players. Yeah. Uh, obviously not Ben Simmons, but you have Kevin Durant <laughs> and Kyrie Irving. Are those buy-in type defensive players? Yeah, I could I could go off for quite a while about Ben Simmons. We'll save that for another day when we're slow. Um, ben Simmons is a fantastic defender. Uh, a kind of a one-of-a-kind defender. Um, but Kevin Durant is underrated defensively. He's a really good defender. Um, he can operate at the five in short stretches. He's a good shot blocker for his size. Kyrie is just kind of small for that. Their main problem with the Nets, they just don't have a roster built for defense. They have one true center on their team, and it's Nick Claxton. Other than that, it's wings and guards, wings and guards. Uh they're waiting on TJ Warren. If TJ Warren is going to be your guy that maybe is better at defense than your other guys, not great. And he hasn't played since 2020. Seth Curry's not doing much for you. We just have a lot of shooters. They have to win by offense. So it'll be interesting to see how he changes his coaching style to match this team. I think he can instill defensive principles and hopefully make them work hard. However, that has not been Kyrie Irving's calling card. Um, they have the pieces in my opinion, if everybody operates to the best of their ability to at least make it to a conference finals. Um, But that is like a one out of a million chance because of all the issues, injuries, drama, mental, otherwise that all these players have. But uh, Ime would definitely have to coach a different way than he would for the Celtics. So it'll be very interesting. I've watched probably three Nets games so far this year just because I'm so interested in the disparity of talent level and performance. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons are all incredibly talented players who I find really entertaining to watch. They just don't perform to the best of their abilities for reasons that are different for all of them that we could get into. But yeah, definitely an interesting story to watch for the rest of the year. Um, Yeah, in, in the same vein of not performing to your capabilities, the Lakers took six games to win a game. They are now one and five. Russell Westbrook came off the bench finally, and it didn't hurt his hammy like he claimed it did when he came off the bench in one preseason game uh, very dramatically. So we'll see how that goes for the rest of the year. People are acting like putting Westbrook on the bench is all of a sudden going to fix all their problems. It won't. They'll still lose a lot of games, and they probably still need to try and move on from Westbrook because he's just a bad fit like he's been since they announced the trade. Uh, Other than that, We'll just keep monitoring stuff. Nothing crazy going on so far. Um, We will move into our signature segments. Mike, let's talk about some rules. Yeah, for sure. We're going to talk about one that created some, I don't want to say controversy at the end of the, uh, the end of uh, game one of the world series, but it did conversation. Yes. That's probably a better word. Conversation at the end of 
of the game. So in the 10th inning of the game, one of the Astros players, I forget who, anybody remember who that was? It was a pinch hitter, I think. I can't remember who it was either. Yeah. Anyway, whatever his name is, gets hit on the elbow um, by a breaking ball from the Phillies pitcher and heads to first base, as one does when they get hit by a pitch. But the umpire calls time and uh, does not send him to first base. Um, and he was doing this um, based on rule 5.05B2. Yes, 5.05B2, um, which says the batter becomes a runner is an entitled to first base without liability to be put out when he is touched by a pitched ball, which he's not attempting to hit unless the ball is in the strike zone when it touches the batter or the batter makes no attempt to avoid being touched by the ball. So by the umpire's judgment, this batter did not make any, or the batter made no attempt to avoid getting struck by the ball. In fact, the, it looked via the video to me that he was intentionally moving to get hit by the ball. Um, so the umpire made that call. And uh, if you continue with that rule, um, it says, if the ball is outside the strike zone when it touches the batter, it shall be called a ball if he makes no attempt to avoid being touched. So it is a dead ball immediately when it hits the batters. So there were no runners on base at the time, but had there been, it's still a dead ball. Um, they can't run, can't advance, um, but also it is called a ball. So it's not the end of the world. It's not like he's out. It's not a strike, but he does not get first base. It is a ball. And if you go watch this play, to me, that was the right call. I, think, I thought it was too, for sure. It's not a call you see made very often. I'd like to see it get made more, frankly. Um, but to me, that was that was the right call based on what I saw of this video. And and I think uh, going back through like the sequence of events, I think the reason that like kind of what led up to this for the batter was I believe he was almost hit by a pitch in the the very pitch before, uh, but he pulled back a lot, so it missed him. Where if he didn't move and just kind of like turned, he probably would have taken a, a hit by a pitch. But he missed it the very next pitch. He was like, oh, well, I'm going to take a hit by the pitch this time. And he kind of leans into it and turns a bit. Um, I thought it was pretty apparent that he was trying to do that intentionally. I think it was Aledmus Diaz, formerly of the St. Louis Cardinals. So there you go. That is why you should not lean into the pitch. Don't do it. It, uh, it does not work. Don't do it. You will not get what you wanted. And depending on... Uh, what kind of pitch it was, A, you're not going to get the outcome that you wanted, and B, you might be in a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other questions on that? Uh, nope. Nope. Cool. Moving right along then into our accountability session for our Write That Down predictions. Um, and it was not a pretty one for anybody. Um, very, very bad Write That Down prediction segment. Um, first one off the board from Josh. He said that the Packs would sign OBJ before the trade deadline. Now, OBJ um, has not signed unless he signed in the last two minutes. Um, he hasn't. I haven't seen. I haven't seen that. Um, so he could still sign, and he could still sign with the Packers, but the prediction was specifically for before the trade deadline, which he did not do. So for that, Josh could say, nah. 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 Josh also predicted that the Packers would beat the Bills somehow. Um, they did not. They put up a decent fight-ish in that game, but they did not win. So for that, Josh gets it. Nah. Nah, nah. And Kyle, he predicted that Checo would win in Mexico. He did not. Um, Verstappen won. Um, so for that, Kyle gets it. Nah. Nah. That, that is it. A, a 0 for 3 accountability session. So I'll move right back to it, putting something back on the board. I am going to continue to drink that purple Kool-Aid and say that the Vikings make it to the NFC Championship game. Let me take a peek here. 5.38. It doesn't give specific um, championship game odds. Wow. It does give the Vikings a 7% chance to, uh, to win the Super win Bowl. Win the Super Bowl. Mm. ESPN's FPI... Um, I know we don't like that, but it gives the Vikings a 24% chance to make the conference championship game. 24%? Yep. That's, 
that's single. We're in double, triple territory. That's no, double. No, no, no. no, I was gonna say Sorry. triple. Yeah. Triple. I'm just. I'm doubtful. I'm not a believer. It's, say it's double, triple. The numbers are probably closer to double, but my personal belief is a triple. I am a believer. I am going to say double. So Wyatt, you're the tiebreaker. I mean, what you got? They're. I. I feel like. A, I don't know. It's like on the line between double and. I'll probably go with double though. I think they're pretty decent. That's fine. I won't complain about that. What well, is? Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yep, he is. Uh, also, wasn't a huge fan of that Packers um, trade deadline, um, but he's still maintaining some faith, and he is going to predict that the Packers will somehow get a wild card. So five thirty-eight. Five thirty-eight gives the Packers a seventeen percent chance to make the playoffs. But in four of that percentage, they win the division. So that means it's specifically a 13% chance to get the wild card. Um, the football power index gives the Packers a 37% chance to make the playoffs. 10% chance to win the division. So that would be a 27% chance. That's, that's too high in my opinion. They look dysfunctional. I don't see that happen. Yeah, that, that FPI projection seems a little bit high to me. That's in the not going to happen, but it's a possibility section for me. So, again, I'm going to say triple. That's what I was leaning towards for that one, too. Yeah, sure. Not the triple. Triple it is. I'm going to predict that the Detroit Lions will finish with exactly four wins on the season. I, I would like to point out. One win? I, yeah, don't shut up, Mike. You, you, you're writing this as we go. You, what, you're changing your prediction as we go. I did. I did not like my prediction. 538 does project the Lions with four wins. ESPN's FBI predicts them at 4.2 wins. Okay, okay, so sorry, sorry, five, 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 five wins. Oh, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Now I got to open up their schedule and look for for the other wins. So they could potentially win. They can win one of the games against the Packers. They could win against the Bears, the Jets, the Jags, and the Panthers are probably their five wins if they're winning five, right? They're not beating the Bills. They're probably not beating the Giants. They could potentially beat one of the Bears or the Packers twice. This seems like a double or a triple to me. I'll say double. I'm leaning towards triple. Kyle, break the tie. Triple. I mean, they have four games against the Bears and the Packers, who are both bad. But they're better than the Lions. Are they? The Packers are. Yeah, they definitely should be. (laughs) They should be, I agree. (laughs) Are they? (laughs) Yeah. That's fine. Triple is. What do you got, Kyle? I have two. So first, the 49ers will make it to the NFC Championship game. Spicy. You, I you, like you are, it. You are really bullish on the 49ers. You, you already are. have a prediction that they're going to win the West. So you're uh, I mean, they, doubling down. They on have the best. They have the best rock, roster in the NFL. You're more high on them that. than I am, but I'm definitely. I like how you're thinking. Um, jeez. They're also four and four, which means they You can't look at their record. All their starters are hurt. And they just put one of the best running backs in the league on their roster. The the point I was trying to make by saying that is they're probably going to have to play one, if not two, road playoff games to get there. I don't think they make it all the way. I mean, it's probably a triple, right? FPI gives the 49ers a 32% chance to Ooh. make the championship game. So better That's than the Vikings. That's not bad, actually. Might be so a double. You, 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 you can't give him a triple if you gave me a double. Yeah, you're but right. I'm, I'm, I'm a double. a double, personally. I also have more faith in the Niners than I do the, the Vikings, personally. Agree. Double? Double. double. Lewis Hamilton wins in Brazil. Probably not. Oh, do you want a triple? Sure. Well, it is. <laughs> I just like Max. Oh, we put Max probably is not. probably gonna win again. Yeah, most likely. Triple it is. You got our end. I want to see something different. Sorry. I also have two. Why not? Um, the Chicago Bears, the newly improved, I guess, Chicago, Chicago, Chicago Bears. Uh, are going to finish with more wins on the season than the Green Bay Packers. I like this. They, they are currently both 3-5. and five. They are tied. Um, 538 has them both finishing 7-10. and 10. Well, I didn't include a tie in there because that seemed too easy. 
FPI has the Bears finishing six and eleven, and the Packers finishing eight and a half and eight and a half. Okay, so maybe triple. Double, triple, trip, triple. The Bears are better I than like the Packers. It. Triple. Yeah, I like triple. It. Take it. And then my second one I have down here. Uh, football, professional football is coming back to the STL. They just announced all the names and logos for the XFL that will be coming back in 2023. I was happy to see that Mr. Johnson, the rock kept St. Louis, the battle Hawks. So to celebrate, I am going to predict that the St. Louis battle Hawks have a winning record in their inaugural season, their new inaugural season, their second first season. God knows what you give this, because I sure don't know how to judge it. But uh, yeah, that's what I got. You don't know their roster yet, obviously, right? You do not. Double. Double, we know yeah. Our coaches. Just double, double, double after, because there's a decent chance the XFL just falls before we even get there. No, so. I need to go to a game. I don't know, round three, the XFL, let's go. I'm, I'm game for it. So last time it was up was before COVID. I had tickets to the game the weekend after everything shut down in March. Like, they canceled the game four days before I got to go, so I never got to go to a game. I want to go. With three doubles and four triples, that includes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 Cast, episode 197. Now, until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311Cast on both Instagram and Twitter. Signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to you all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!